Okay, who's in, who's out? We are in week two of this sermon series, week two, because we are going to talk about the plan of God to get you in to eternal life. So last week in this series, we were focusing, in this whole series, we're not going to just focus on heaven and eternal life. That isn't all that it means to be in. There's going to be some other things we'll talk about in this series. But that is the big thing that came up last week as this rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? How do I get into heaven? And we learned last week that you know your ticket into heaven can't be bought. You must be brought by God. So today's message is all about how that happens. How are we brought by God, and what is his plan to make that happen? So if you missed last week's message, you can go back and find the audio, video, and transcript at arisedenver.com slash media. But it's okay if you're like, oh, no, I missed it. You'll be fine. We'll, we'll catch you up uh, enough. And then we're going to be back into talking about this who's in, who's out. But this message is so important for us to understand. Because finding eternal life is something that uh, I think most of us would be interested in, right? If we could die and then rise to life and have heaven ahead where there's no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death, that sounds great, doesn't it? And I think we all long for it. Even Jeff Bezos is about this. Did you guys see this headline a few, uh, couple months ago? Jeff Bezos funds the quest for eternal life. Do you guys see this? He's investing heavily in this laboratory in San Francisco, that, I guess the, the Silicon Valley, that is um, focusing on how to make cells regenerate, okay? Because he's wanting to find eternal life. And so many, for hundreds and thousands of years, have wanted to find eternal life. And I, I feel like I've been poking fun of Jeff Bezos a little bit in my last few messages. So Jeff, I love you. If you're watching, let's connect. We, we, you know, we, we'd love to help you follow Jesus as well. Because I want to tell Jeff this and all of you, that eternal life has already been bought and paid for. Did you guys know that? I could get an amen right there. Okay, eternal life has already been bought and paid for, that Jesus has already made a way for us to do that, and God has had a plan for us to bring, come into eternal life since before the foundation of the world. God has had this plan for thousands of years that he carefully crafted and was fulfilled in Jesus. And that's what we're going to learn today, that God's plan to bring you in is fulfilled in Jesus. Simple, right? God's plan to bring you in is fulfilled in Jesus. And we're going to see that so clearly in this short section of scripture we're going to look at today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Luke chapter um, 18, we're going to start in verse 31. It's a small section. We're going to go from 31 to 34 in Luke chapter 18. If you are uh, following along or if you have your smartphone, you can use the YouVersion Bible app, and we have an event under Arise Church Denver that has all the scripture, and that's going to be important today because there's a lot of scripture we're going over, a lot, okay, a lot, a lot. And why I'm saying that is because you might want to take notes on this message. This message won't be like my normal messages. It's going to be a lot more teaching because I want you to see how vast the riches of God's word that tells us about this plan of God from the creation of the world that is fulfilled in Jesus for us to get in. So if you're on the YouVersion Bible app, you can see all those scriptures. You don't need to be flipping back and forth a hundred times. It's okay. We're, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures together. So maybe take some notes. But today I want us to start in our passage and then we'll jump around quite a bit. So let's start in verse 31 of Luke chapter 18. It says that Jesus took the 12 aside. These are his 12 disciples, the 12 closest friends of his that are learning from him. He took them aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be what? Fulfilled. 
So Jesus called himself the Son of Man. That itself is a prophecy from the Old Testament about the Messiah who would be to come. Jesus claimed that title for himself. He referred to himself as the Son of Man over and over again. And he says, all these things written about the prophets are fulfilled in me. And he goes on to explain just a little bit. In verse 32, he says, He, the Son of Man, Jesus himself, will be delivered over to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Verse 34 tells us the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Seems pretty clear to us, but they didn't get it. And I want to make sure that none of you miss this. I want you to all to understand this passage and how important it is as we see God's plan fulfilled in Jesus. So the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus predicted a lot, didn't he? This is a prediction. This is a prophecy. He is saying this is a prophecy. And if you look, if some of you have a Bible with titles in it, this section is titled, Jesus Predicts His Death a Third Time. So this is the third like, clear prophecy that Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. But actually, if you read through the Gospel of Luke, there are four other times in addition to these three. So seven times total that Jesus either outright prophecies or alludes to his suffering, death, and resurrection. Seven times. Three very clear and seven total. A lot of predictions. And, and, and let me tell you this. It is hard to make predictions. Anybody ever tried? Have you noticed that like every single election cycle, there's one or, or multiple news articles that are like, this professor predicted the last five elections, and this is what he's saying for the next one. Have you guys seen these articles? Like this professor's got it right, okay? That's why Nate Silver of 538 is making like millions of dollars because he has his like algorithm of figuring out all the different polls so he can predict who's going to be right. But I think 2016 um, made everybody realize nobody knows what they're talking about when it comes to predictions, Right? Nobody knows about predictions. It is so hard to make predictions. That's why the gambling industry is spending billions of dollars right now, all, the, all these advertisements, because they know you're going to waste your money predicting who's going to win. They're like, give us the money. We can spend a ton of money because you're going to give us more because you can't predict who's going to win. If you are a gambler, there's professional gamblers out there, if you um, can win like 51 to 54% of your bets, you are incredible. That's how you make a living on it, 51 to 54%. That's terrible. That's barely over half of your predictions coming true. Here's a crazy one. Um, psychological profilers for the FBI. You know these guys? There's all sorts of TV shows and movies about them, Criminal Minds. These guys are the experts, the, the most brilliant people. There was a study that was done on them. How accurate are they in their predictions of, of who committed the murder? 2.7% success rate. In order to be an expert, 2.7% success rate at predicting who did it, okay? It's so hard to figure this out. And the people that think they have it all figured out and can predict the future, they're sometimes the worst. You know who the best was, though? I don't know if you guys remember this back in 2010. The World Cup. Do you remember this? This, this uh, predicted the uh, World Cup with 85% accuracy for each of the matches. Do you know who it was? Paul the Octopus. Does anybody remember this? Paul the Octopus. They would give him these two boxes of food, and like depending on which of the boxes he went forward to eat, that was like which team was going to win. 85% success rate. Incredible. And then they chopped him up for sashimi. That's, I'm, I'm, that's the true story. I didn't make that up, okay? An octopus was the greatest predictor, right? Okay, the point is we're terrible at predicting the future. 
terrible at it. And yet, Jesus makes three very clear predictions and seven total about his suffering, death, and resurrection, and they happen. You should probably listen to him. Okay? You should probably listen to what he says. Okay, I want to show you a, a few of these, and we'll go back to, to Luke chapter 9, the first of these predictions, these prophecies, was in Luke 9.22. And in Luke 9.22, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. So, so this is interesting. Do you see the details? The details get more and, and more as you read through the Gospel of Luke. But even here in the first one, he says, Okay, I'm going to die but I'm going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. The spiritual leaders, the Jewish leaders, are going to be the ones who turn me over. He's very specific about what's going to happen here. And that's exactly what happened. So what you're going to see here throughout our, our message is I'm going to put the scripture, and the scripture reference is the one that's on the left, right? Luke 9.22. And then on the right of that, you'll see in brackets another scripture which actually tells where that was fulfilled. We're not going to look at all, all of those or else we'd be here all day, Okay. But I just want you to see this. You can look this up later, so write that down if you want. That, that's where it's fulfilled. That's actually what happened. The Jewish leaders are the ones who, who betrayed Jesus. And Jesus was a rabbi. He was one of the Jewish leaders. And yet they turned on him to have him killed. Let's look at another one in Luke chapter 13. Jesus says, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. He even predicted where he was going to die in Jerusalem. See, he's getting more and more details as he goes. Now let's look at our passage again in, in Luke 18, verse 32. He said that he, speaking about himself, will be delivered over to the Gentiles. This is interesting because didn't he say that the, the Jewish leaders would turn on him? But now he's saying the Gentiles. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. They colluded. The Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers, Pontius Pilate and the high priest all collaborated in order to kill Jesus. And he goes on with even more details. He says, they will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. Well, that too is what happened. And I, this is the one, the passage I'm going to show you that, that shows this fulfillment. Uh, in Matthew 27, 30, it, it's, it's very clear. Look at this. This is what actually happened. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took, him off, took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. See, it was fulfilled everything that Jesus told. Even the things that are out of his hand, he said, this is what's going to happen, and it happened. Someone predicts what's going to happen, and it happens, you should listen to that person. Because it is hard to make predictions. And Jesus did it. If I can jump back a couple slides. <laughs> did you guys see this sign? It's been going around online. Um... Prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. Even that church, right? Prophecy class. Uh-oh. I think that the Danish saying is correct when it says, it's difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. It is. It's so hard. And yet Jesus got it all right. He got it all right. He said, this is what's going to happen. Three times clearly, seven times total. He said, this is what's going to happen. And then it happened to the detail you should listen to him because Jesus fulfilled all of his own prophecies. Jesus fulfilled all of his own prophecies. This is part of God's plan to bring you in. God knew that his son would have to suffer and die to bring you in, and this is how it happens. It's 
fulfilled in Jesus. But it's even more than that. This is the amazing thing. It's even more than that. Because for hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus ever lived, there were prophecies, predictions made about him. So we're going to look at some of these. We're actually going to look at 17 different prophecies from the Old Testament that are fulfilled in Jesus. 17. And it's not even exhaustive. There could be more. But I wanted to give you as many that, that, are, that are just as clear as possible of these 17. Because listen to what Jesus says in, in verse 31 of our passage in Luke 18, 31. When he takes the 12 aside, he says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. When he uses the term prophets here, what he's actually referring to is the entirety of the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. From Genesis to our book of Malachi, every single book is about Jesus. Jesus said that himself in John 5.39. He says, the scriptures, they testify about me. Everything, whether it's signs, symbols, prophecies, it's all pointing forward to this Jesus who would come. And if you're curious about that, we're going to actually spend our entire midweek podcast, The 10,000, talking about that this week. How does that work? Everything's about Jesus. Sometimes we miss it when we read these, uh, this Old Testament. We get bogged down in these details, but it's all pointing to Jesus. And there are some very clear prophecies. So some of these prophecies we're going to look at of the 17 are people like David and Isaiah writing. And like when David's writing, he's writing maybe about himself, but it's foreshadowing. He's a shadow of what's coming ahead, the true Messiah. But other ones are very clear prophecies like this is the Messiah who's going to come. This is what he's going to do. This is what it's going to be like. So what we're going to look at is these 17 prophecies that are just about Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. So let's look together at some of these prophecies. And I want to start in Psalm 41.9. So in Psalm 41.9, it says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. What happened to Jesus? If you look up that Matthew 26, one of Jesus' close friends, one of his 12 close friends, Judas, betrayed him. And Jesus, at the Last Supper, he took some bread, and he said, Whoever shares this bread with me will betray me, fulfilling that prophecy. And it was Judas who took the bread and then sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 41.9. Okay, let's look at the next one. Psalm 2. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. See, in Psalm 2, way back at the beginning of the Psalms, it predicted that rulers, nations, would conspire to kill the Lord's anointed. And what happened? The Jews and the Romans worked together to kill Jesus. They hated each other but they plotted against the Lord's anointed. That's what happened. Let's look at the next uh, prophecy from Zechariah. This was written um, you know, some 500, 520 years before Jesus was even born. It says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Well, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. And when he was betrayed by Judas and he was arrested, the other 11 disciples fled. They scattered. They weren't there to help their friend and Savior, Jesus Christ. This prophecy was fulfilled in that moment. Let's look at the next one. Isaiah 53. Isaiah wrote this probably about 500 years before Jesus was born. He said that he was oppressed and afflicted, speaking about the Messiah. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And that's what happened. When Jesus stood trial, he was silent. He was silent. It was fulfilled. Let's look at another one from Isaiah, Isaiah 56. It says, I offered my back to those who beat me, 
my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. And if you study Roman uh, torture and crucifixion, that's what they did to torture people. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And as we've already seen from Matthew 27, that is what happened. He was spit on, he was mocked and beaten. Let's look at the next one, Psalm um, 22. Now this psalm is so rich, it's written by David um, a thousand years before Jesus was ever born. And it says, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. So they're mocking him. And what's fascinating in Mark 15, do you know how they mocked him? They said, if you're the Lord, save yourself. This was predicted what they were going to say to mock Jesus. And it happened. Let's look at the next one. Psalm 22, verse 15. It says, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Well, when Jesus was hanging on the cross in the Middle Eastern sun, as the sun was baking him, his mouth was dry and he asked for something to drink. He was so thirsty. And instead they gave him this sponge dipped in vinegar. He was thirsty because he was there. This is fulfilled. Let's look at verse 16 of Psalm 22. It says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. So what happened in crucifixion? The Romans weren't even around a thousand years uh, before Jesus when this was written by David. But that's exactly what happens in crucifixion as you're nailed through your hands and your feet. That's what happened to Jesus. Let's look at the next one. Psalm 22, verse 18. It says, They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. After they strip Jesus naked... The Romans literally cast lots to see who would get to keep those clothes for themselves. It's fulfilled. Look at Isaiah 52. It says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. When Jesus was beaten, 39 lashes. When they gave him the max and, and he was whipped, he was disfigured like this. It might even explain why after he rose from the dead, when he first runs into his disciples, they don't recognize him at first. Because he'd been beaten so badly. Let's look at the next one. In Psalm 34. It says, The righteous person will have, may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Did you know that when Jesus was on the cross, what was normal standard practice in the Roman world was when someone was up there, they would be uh, baking in the sun for days as they slowly suffocated and as they lost strength in their muscles to push themselves up and get another breath. But Jesus, because he had been beaten so badly, was so weakened that he died on that first day. And one of the soldiers, before he broke his bones, because that was normal, you'd break their bones and then they'd finally die because they couldn't push themselves up anymore. They speared him in the side to make sure he was dead, and he was. They didn't need to break his bones. And so this prophecy, too, was fulfilled. Let's look at the next one. In Zechariah 12.10, it says, They will look on me, the one they have pierced. And what happened? That Roman soldier pierced him in the side. Pierced him in the side. Again, fulfilling prophecy. And then in Daniel, The anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. But then get this. This is even a crazier detail. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, do you know what happened at 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus died, was that the Romans came in, they destroyed Jerusalem, and they took down the temple stone from stone to never be rebuilt again. 
That's why even right now there's a mosque where the temple once stood. Because this prophecy too was fulfilled. Let's look at the next one. Isaiah 53. says that he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. I point this out because this doesn't make any sense if you had read this prophecy 500 years before Jesus when it was written. A grave with the wicked and with the rich? Well, Jesus was crucified between, between two thieves, two criminals. And then when they took him down, they put him in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb because he volunteered. I'll, I'll take him, a rich man. I'll take him and put him in my tomb. Killed like a criminal, put in a rich man's tomb. How could that be fulfilled in any other way? Let's look at the next one. Psalm 118 says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now this is incredible. Jesus was rejected even though he was the cornerstone, but it has become the cornerstone for a whole new religion. In Jesus' day, there was, he had 12 followers, right? By the end of the first century AD, there were 100,000 followers of Jesus. And today, there are almost 2.4 billion people who name the name of Christ. The largest religion the world has ever seen. It truly has become the cornerstone, even though Jesus was rejected by his own people. Prophecy fulfilled. Let's keep going. Psalm 16 says, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Well, this happened because after Jesus died, they put him down in the ground. They buried him in a tomb, but on the third day, the tomb was empty. This is actually like an undeniable historical fact. The tomb is empty. And we know this because every single other religious person has a tomb that people still venerate to this day. Every single person who's dead, you know where they got buried. But nobody knows where Jesus was buried. Why? Because the tomb was empty. Why would we go to a tomb? It's empty. He rose from the dead. And this is what we see here in Isaiah 53. Now, this is one of the most impressive uh, prophecies, this whole chapter of the Bible. It says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life in offering for sin, meaning he's dead, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Meaning he will die and he will rise from the dead. And that too is exactly what happened. All these predictions fulfilled in Jesus. Because Jesus did rise on the third day. And then he appeared to his disciples. And over a span of 40 days, he appeared to some 500 people who saw him, touched his hands and his feet where he had been pierced, and the side where he had been pierced as well. They ate meals with him. They, they spent this time with him. And what's incredible is not only do we hear that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection, but it's also told uh, us through the Apostle Paul. And this is fascinating because the, the book of 1 Corinthians was probably written some 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's Paul who says that there were 500 witnesses of the resurrection, naming some of them. Why is that important? Because in 15 years, a lot of those people were still alive. And if they were like, no, that never happened, they could have done that, right? But they didn't. We know that the 12 disciples, one of them, Judas, killed himself, but the other 11 gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. They traveled to North Africa, to Europe, and into Italy, and to Turkey, some even as far east as India and maybe China, giving their lives, willing to be tortured and killed to proclaim that Jesus had risen from the dead. The disciples' lives were transformed because Jesus did rise from the dead. They went as Jews, devoutly worshiping every single Saturday on the Sabbath, to now worshiping on the Sunday. Why would they change that ritual? Because Jesus rose on Sunday. 
Then all of a sudden, on top of that, they are starting to worship Jesus as God himself. Now, to a Jew, that is blasphemy. Why? Because Jews recite three times a day, Orthodox Jews to this day, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. They are monotheistic. There's one God. All the other gods are fake. And yet here these group of Jews are saying Jesus is God. Why? Because he truly did rise from the dead. Jesus fulfilled God's plan. God's plan foretold for thousands of years before he ever came. In, in these specific details, you saw 17, and we're not even getting into the prophecies about his virgin birth, his life, or, or anything else, okay? We're, we're just talking about these 17 about his suffering, death, and resurrection. See, God had a plan to bring you in. He wants you to have eternal life, and it is through his son, Jesus. And he carefully put out this plan so that we would have beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus truly is the king of kings, and he rose from the dead. Let me tell you this. Every other human being to ever live is dead. Did you know that? Okay. Alexander the Great, dead. Attila the Hun, dead. Genghis Khan, dead. Napoleon, dead. They're all dead. Doesn't matter how great of a human being you are, you're dead. How about religious leaders? Confucius, dead. Muhammad, dead. Joseph Smith, dead. They're all dead. Jesus, alive. Yeah, you can amen that. See, Jesus alone predicted his death, prophesied it, and then pulled it off. Listen to him for that. But then he also took these Old Testament scriptures, and he fulfilled it all, even things that were completely beyond his control. Jesus alone fulfills God's plan, and God is trying to tell us, hit us over the head with the fact that God has a plan to bring you in and is fulfilled in Jesus. Believe it. So I hope that today... You'll be fully convinced. I know some of us have doubts. We're like, I don't know. But man, could it be any clearer? Study this for yourselves. If you still have questions, I, I challenge you, doubt your doubts. Investigate this for yourself. Look at how incredible it is that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies that were laid out for so many centuries. Maybe you know someone who, who's like, I know they have some questions. Send them this message, okay? You can share this message with me. You gotta listen to this. At least check for yourselves, tell them. Because we need to be convinced of this. We can't miss the fact that the Messiah has come and through him and in him only, God has a plan for you to have eternal life. In verse 34 of the passage, if we look back at Luke 18, it says the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. Now I think we've got to give them a little bit of credit because up to this point, this is unheard of a resurrection bodily from the dead. Jews maybe believe that someday we'll be resurrected at the very end of the world in heaven. But they didn't think this could happen. In fact, N.T. Wright wrote a great book called The Resurrection of the Son of God, over 800 pages studying what Jews believed at the time in all the world religions. Nobody believed that someone would die and come back bodily from the dead. It was not in their mindset at all. They, they couldn't even imagine it. And yet here, it happens so I'm telling you all this because I don't want you to be like the disciples that day. They missed it. They didn't understand it. But I hope and pray that you will not miss it today. That your mind will be open. That your heart will be opened to the truth that's found in the scriptures, fulfilled in Jesus. It's God's plan to bring you in. So believe. Believe.
Now, Peter gave a, a, a sermon on the day of Pentecost. It was very similar to this one. He's like, look at all the Old Testament scriptures. They're fulfilled in Jesus. Look, I want you to believe this. And there were some 3,000 people that believed that day. And when they said, well, what do we do now? Do you know what Peter told them? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's the response. When we hear a message like this, when we are convinced that Jesus is the Messiah that fulfills God's plan, we got to repent, saying, I was wrong, I'm a sinner, you're God and I'm not, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and then we get baptized to publicly tell people that we are saved. And, and that's what we're going to do here today. We had three people get baptized in the first service. It was awesome. Yeah, it was exciting. We had a husband baptize his wife. We had a father baptize his son. It was awesome, okay? And we got three more people getting baptized this service. And I'm so excited about this because these people are publicly saying, I believe that. I'm convinced. It's true. And I want the world to know that's what I believe. That's what baptism is, going public with your faith. And if you're here today and you never have been baptized yourself, I will dunk you too. I promise I'll do it, okay? You might go home a little wet. We got towels for you. It's okay. It's worth it because that's how we respond to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pentecost be baptized. So you can just get in the line right here, okay? We've, we've had it happen before. We've had a couple of people like, I'm ready. So if that's you today, we have some towels ready for you. But what I want to do right now is just invite the band up if we could. And I want to challenge you to believe because some of you, maybe for the first time, your mind is open. You're like, whoa, I didn't know about all these, these facts, these prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus. And that's why I want to invite you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to declare that he is Lord and Savior. So this is what we're going to do today. I'm going to give you a chance. What, what we do here is, is we give you a simple prayer, and it's just a simple way to declare Jesus is your Lord and Savior, to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. And he will always forgive you because Jesus died for you. He suffered for you. He rose from the dead to show that God has power over your sins and over death so that you too can enter into eternal life. So if you declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, you can repeat this prayer after me. And if you're already a believer here, say the prayer too to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. So would you guys please bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Nobody is going to be looking around. And would you please repeat this prayer after me? Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Forgive me. Save me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. I accept your gift of eternal life. I receive your spirit. Help me to follow you and live generously for the rest of my life. Okay, with eyes still closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior today, would you please slip your hand into the air? Let's hold it up high. Praise God. Can we celebrate with those? Keep that hand up. Praise God. Praise God. Welcome. The angels are celebrating in heaven. Lord God, we are so grateful for those who you have brought in through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his suffering, so we wouldn't have to suffer for our sins. His death, so we wouldn't have to die for his sins. And his resurrection, so we could rise with him into eternal life. Lord God, we are so grateful that you laid out this careful plan since before the foundations of the world to bring a Messiah to save us and redeem us from our sin and bring us into your fold, into your family. We are so grateful for that. And that's why right now, Lord God, we celebrate with those who are making their faith public. And we declare that you and you alone are the King of Kings. 
Amen. Would you please stand together as we sing this song and worship the King of Kings?